Hey, I'm going to read from the Scriptures now. So if you've got a Bible, go to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to finish up the, the chapter here this morning. We've been, spent four weeks in chapter 1. I feel like we could have spent six. But we're going to read Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to focus really on the last five or so verses there. So I'm going to read from verse 24 down to the end. And then I'm going to pray for us and we're going to unpack this scripture. So Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. If you don't have a a Bible, the verses will be on the screen behind me. You can follow along. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Let me pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You're a God who speaks. We thank You that You're a God who has revealed Yourself to us that you have made known to us the mystery, that you are including us into your family, that you are incorporating us into the nation of Israel, that we would be called your people. God, we rejoice in this good news that you have made a way, that you've reconciled us. And so God, as you have revealed in the past, would you reveal now again by the power of your Spirit, convict us, show us things this morning, that we need to change, areas that we need to bring under your Lordship, things that we need to celebrate, parts of our life we need to grow in. We pray that you would speak to us now by the power of your Spirit through your Word. Change us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, Amen. This week I've been, uh, this has been a really tricky passage, to be honest with you. I was preparing this week a message and I came up with this amazing three-point sermon, Paul's purpose, Paul's practice and Paul's power. And that was really good. And um, for a preacher, that's good. You know, a three-point sermon with alliteration. You, you know you've nailed it. But I spent all of Friday working on this message. I got to about 4.15 on Friday afternoon. And I just, I wasn't happy with it. It wasn't sitting well with me. And so um, I hit control N in Word and started a fresh document and started a message again, because I believed that God had convicted me that I really needed to be focusing in on verse 29 this morning. And so I feel like this is uh, an important message for where we're at as a staff team, as a church, the things that God wants to say to us through this passage this morning. So I hope this is helpful. Uh, I mentioned that Brian and I were in the States a couple of weeks ago and we stayed with a family in the north of L.A., uh, amazing family that, that the Hendersons know and they put us up and took us out for sushi. And, uh, but we went out one night uh, in Guy's new Tesla Model S. Man, that car is crazy, right? So you get in this car. It's a full electric car. It doesn't have an engine in it outside, like a, a, a combustion engine inside of it. It's just got this electric engine and it's got this thing called launch mode and he puts his foot down 
And honestly, it feels like you're on a roller coaster. There's no sound. You just, it's like a rocket. You take off. My head was pinned back in the seat. It was amazing. There's four guys in the car were like, yeah, this is so cool. Uh, and then he did it again, turned around, came back down the street and did launch mode again. It was really, really cool. And, and there's this kind of, this cool new trend of hybrid electric cars happening. In fact, the supercar world has introduced hybrid cars. The fastest production made hybrid car is the new Porsche 918 Spider. I don't know if it's still the case. They're releasing new cars all the time and it's hard to keep up with which ones are the fastest. But let me give you some statistics about the Porsche 918 Spider. It has a petrol motor in it, a 612 horsepower, 4.6 litre V8 motor. Did I mention 612 horsepower? Plus, it's got two electric motors in there that are capable of an additional 208 horsepower, totaling 887 horsepower, not to 102.5 seconds. It has broken the lap record for the Nürburgring, which is incredibly fast. And in Top Gear's promo of this car, Richard Hammond said this, and in uh, just the new Top Gear without Jeremy Clarkson just doesn't make sense. I don't know if it's just me, but... They've got a really neat way of saying things. This is Richard Hammond's comment on the Spider 918. He says, It just wakes up like a sprinter falling out of bed and going straight into a world record while all the others are still eating cornflakes and thinking about having a poo. <laughs> the petrol engine and the electric engine cooperatively work together to create this car that is amazingly fast. Now, as I think about um, mission and ministry and all of the things that Jesus calls us to, sometimes I think, man, it'd be really nice to have a second motor that would kick in when my other motor is kind of running out of steam or, or um, you know, it's just something to turbocharge this a reserve engine because honestly, it can be tiring. It can be hard work. Maybe you're a gospel community leader and you think this Trying to care for the 28 people and the other 15 that want to join my GC is just too many people. to I, I can't possibly do this. Or maybe you serve in kids ministry and it's hard work. Maybe you're on the band and, and you, you, you lead us in worship on Sundays and, and, and it's hard work learning songs and, and memorizing lyrics and, and leading people out of joy. That, that this would overflow out of a life of worship, not just be a performance on a stage. And, and maybe it's for you that you serve in a support ministry and, and there is just so much happening behind the scenes and you feel tired. And it's like, I wish I had a second source of energy. I wish I had the second motor, the electric motor that could kick in when my motor feels tired. And it seems to me that when Paul reaches the end of this chapter here, he's talking about that very thing this cooperative effort between his energy and the energy that Jesus gives. So let me start by asking you this question. Does the Holy Spirit need you to see this city transformed? Does the Holy Spirit need you? Like, do you need to put yourself out? Do you need to work hard? Do you need to labor and strive? I mean, surely, like, I mean, we believe in the sovereignty of God, right? He will call people to Himself. right? We believe that Jesus promises, I will build my church. We believe that it is the Holy Spirit that moves someone. From, like, do you need to work hard? Do you need to labour in this? If 
God is the one who does everything. Because sometimes it's just hard work. Well, I think the verse that I want to focus on, help us answer that question this morning is verse 29. And I'm going to break it up into two parts. So read it with me. Chapter 1, verse 29 says this. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So the first part I want to look at is, is for this I toil, struggling. And the second half I want to look at is the power, the energy that Jesus provides. Paul uses two words to describe his ministry, his labor, his effort. And those words are labor and struggle. He labors, he toils, he works hard. You know, one of my best mates at school is a guy called Neil, and he left school at the end of year 10 to start an apprenticeship as an electrician. And uh, whatever it is about the apprenticeship world, there's this process of getting people initiated. And his initiation was to dig a trench. Now, they were working at a school where they, um, they could quite easily have pulled out a link of a, a portion of a fence, driven a bobcat in and dug this trench that was required to lay this cable. It was quite a deep trench, about waist deep and very long, a few hundred meters. But instead, they decided to make Neil dig the trench. And so for four months, four months, he dug a trench. Every single day he dug a trench. He had blisters. He had sore back, sore shoulders. He complained every day. He hated it. He wanted to quit. It was hard work. And Paul is using that kind of word to describe his ministry. He labors. He works hard. It is tiring. It is exhausting. It is physically, mentally, and spiritually taxing. In fact, Paul works so hard that he says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he works harder than all of the other apostles. And that's not a boast. It's just fact. Paul worked hard. The second word he uses to describe his ministry is he struggles. For this I toil, for this I labor, struggling. Now that word is a word that comes from the athletic arena. It's the word that is spoken of of an athlete that strives and struggles and strains with every fiber of their being and might to achieve their goal and purpose. In fact, it's a word that could be used of fighting or wrestling. Paul says, I strive. Now we've got the Olympics coming up pretty soon. Any, any fans of the Olympics? Anyone going to stay up all night and watch all of the events? And yesterday. yesterday, opening ceremony. So Olympics is coming, right? Now, I just want to tell you, in case you were wondering, no one wins a gold medal if they don't try. Like even Usain Bolt, who doesn't look like he's trying, is trying. Okay, he, he trains very hard. Right? Phelps, that amazingly gifted swimmer who looks like he has no effort, trained. He said that he trained harder than anyone else seven days a week. Right? These athletes strive with every fiber of their being and strength to achieve a gold medal. And Paul is saying, that's how I go about serving Jesus. I strive. I labor. I work, I toil. No one could ever accuse Paul of laziness. He works hard. You know, there's um, stories that go around in church history of very famous people who labored hard for the gospel. And one of the most famous ones is stories that are told of George Whitfield. George Whitfield is, uh, he died when he was 55. 
He's said to have preached 18,000 sermons to 10 million people in his lifetime as a preacher. So if he started preaching at 18 or whatever, I was preached to 55, he preached 18,000 times to more than 10 million people. He traveled extensively preaching the gospel. He went to Scotland 14 times. He went to Ireland twice. He went to the US seven times. He went to Bermuda of all places. He went to the Netherlands and he went everywhere in England and Wales. And you think, man, that's pretty good frequent flyer points. It's a lot of traveling. But he didn't fly first class Qantas. He crossed the Atlantic on this perilous journey on a ship seven times to the US. In fact, he said that I would rather wear out than rust out. That was his motto to ministry. I would rather wear out than rust out. George Whitfield literally died the night after preaching his last sermon at 55 because of asthma and sickness. He preached himself into the grave. And Paul says, that's how I approach my ministry. I labor, I strive, I work. Let me show you just how hard Paul works. We see a glimpse of it here in, one, in, in Colossians 1. And I'm going to take you to a few other places to see that. Let me show you. Firstly, Paul identifies himself there in verse 25 as a minister of the gospel. Did you see that? Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. See, Paul doesn't identify himself as a CEO, as a VP, as a chief officer of anything. He says, I'm a servant. I'm a slave. Servants and slaves work hard. Like after a long day of laboring in the field, the servant doesn't come in, kick his feet up, have a glass of wine, sit in front of the fire. Like, no, he, he fixes his master's meal. He prepares food. Then he tidies the kitchen, eats his own meal and crawls into bed after laboring a long, hard day. And he says, I've only done my duty. Paul is a servant. Elsewhere in Romans 1, he'll call himself a slave of the gospel, a slave of Christ. So even the way that he identifies himself speaks of his effort and striving and labor in the gospel. Secondly, he speaks of his suffering. Come back to verse 24 with me. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Now, Jesus has to be magnificent and valuable and worthy to have that view of suffering. Like Paul has to believe every skerrick of what he said last week about Jesus. That he is king, that he is ruler, that he is creator, that he is sustainer, that he is senior pastor. He's got to believe all of that in order to say, I rejoice in my suffering. Now, Paul clearly doesn't believe that somehow Jesus on the cross didn't complete all of the work of salvation, that he left a little bit of work there that Paul needed to kind of fill up what was lacking by his own personal suffering to complete the work of salvation that Christ hadn't finished on the cross. Like, Paul's not a heretic, right? That would contradict everything that he had just said about Jesus. He knows that Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. So what does he mean there when he says, I'm filling up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions? This is what I think Paul means here. And everyone's got an opinion on this verse. And this is why it took so long to prepare this week. Because I had to figure out what this verse meant. Here's what I think. 
Cast your minds back to Acts chapter 9, where Paul wasn't Paul, he was Saul. And he's on the road to Damascus to go and kill Christians. And Jesus appears to him on that road. And he says to him what? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. Now you might expect to say, well, Paul, Paul says, I'm not persecuting you, Jesus. I'm persecuting those crazy people who say that they believe that you rose again from the dead. But so united to his people, is Christ so united to Christ is his church that for his church to suffer, Jesus says, I am suffering. He is united to his people. And so you could say that Jesus, in fact, has been suffering for the last 2,000 years as the church has been persecuted. When Paul says that in my body, in my flesh, I am suffering Christ's afflictions. He's pointing there to the unity that the, the church has, that he has to Jesus. Where the church suffers, Christ suffers. Now, Paul writes this letter, Colossians, from prison. He is acquainted with suffering. He knows what it costs to make much of Jesus in this culture. That it would cost him his freedom that he would face life in prison, maybe even the death penalty. Now, it seems to me that Paul has suffered more than one person could possibly hope to bear. In 2 Corinthians, Paul lists all of the things that he has had to endure as the apostle to the Gentiles. And he does that because there are these super apostles that have come that claim to, to be amazing. And, and Paul just wants to put a couple of things right about who really is super, not those who have all the wonderful gifts of rhetoric and preaching, but those who suffer for Jesus. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labours, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul went hard to follow that call of Jesus to go and make the good news proclaimed to the ends of the earth. You know, um, if you watch rugby league at all, you'll notice um, that there are, and isn't it good that Jared Hayne is back in the rugby league? Jared Hayne, my boy. It's good. Pity he's not playing for Parramatta, but um, Titans it is. So if you've watched the rugby league, right, you'll notice that there are post-match interviews that are full of cliches. Occasionally you'll get an intelligent guy who seems to be able to speak on his own behalf and not just rattle off all the things that the PR team taught them in the dressing room as they wrote them up on the board. Things like, yeah, the boys left it all out in the field tonight. Yeah, we left nothing in the tank. It's just cliche after cliche after cliche of... Now, Paul has a post-match interview 
in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when he's speaking to his young apprentice, Timothy, he's getting to the end of his life. He's about to die, the end of the game. It's almost over. And he says, I consider my life like one that has been poured out like a drink offering. I've run the race. I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. Paul has literally poured out every ounce of breath and energy and life that he has to make much of Jesus. He's given it all. But really, this is a way of describing any disciple of Jesus, is it not? Doesn't he say, come follow me, take up your cross, die? And yet somehow we've thought that it'd be really nice if someone would pick us up in a limo Drive us to heaven with champagne in hand in comfort. But it's not the way of the follower of Jesus. It's not Paul's way. He gave everything. Suffering. Why is it that we run from the cost of following Jesus? Why is it that we run from suffering? John Piper says, there is more glory to be seen and savoured in suffering than there ever was in self-serving escape. That's certainly true for Paul. It was true of Jesus, was it not? And it's true of us, that we follow our Saviour in the pattern of suffering first and glory later. Now, how did Paul do that? How did Paul endure that life of striving and labor and suffering. Well, the second thing that demonstrates this labor and striving of Paul is this ambition, this desire that he has to proclaim Jesus. He works hard at proclaiming Jesus. Uh, Paul was called there in Acts chapter 9 to go and make the good news of Jesus known to all of the Gentiles. That is everyone other than the Jews in Jerusalem. So I've always wondered, how come Jerusalem gets 12 apostles and the rest of the world gets one, Paul? Like, it seems disproportionate, but Paul took that call seriously and he literally travels the world preaching Jesus. You just flick through all of the letters in the New Testament are pretty much written by Paul to churches that he planted and started. Colossians is an exception. He didn't plant this church, but a disciple that he mentored, Epaphras or Epaphroditus. Is it Epa- Which one is it? One of the Epaphs planted Colossian, the church in Colossae. Paul writes these letters, letter after letter after letter, to churches that he planted and established and preached the gospel to. He says this in verse 25. Speaking of the church, he said, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. He's been entrusted with a task from Jesus that everyone would know about the good news. Everyone would know about Jesus. Everyone would hear the word of God. In fact, you get to Ephesus, where Paul spends two years proclaiming the good news, the hall of Tyrannus. At the end of that time, Paul says that the gospel has gone everywhere throughout Asia Minor. Everyone has heard about Jesus. He labors and strives to this end. In fact, in verse 28, you could summarize Paul's 
purpose and mission statement in these three words. Verse 28, Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. He proclaims Jesus. Like if, if everything is all about Jesus, like we heard last week, if He is the center of our faith, then Paul has to proclaim Jesus. Like what else does he have to proclaim? We don't proclaim behavior modification. We don't proclaim self-help. We don't proclaim religiosity and morals. We proclaim Jesus who sets people free by His blood on the cross. Paul labors to that end of proclaiming Jesus. In fact, he says to the church in Corinth, I decided to know nothing when I was among you except for Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Like Paul has this like zeroed in, narrow focus, drive and passion and determination to preach Jesus. He strives. He labors for it. The third thing that he does that he strives and labors for is maturity. You notice there in verse 28, he has a concern that everyone in the church would mature. Have a look in verse 28. Him we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. That's expansive language there. Everyone, 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 all wisdom. Paul does not withhold truth from these people. He wants to establish them. He's not happy with just a few or some or a certain percentage of the church maturing to Christ-likeness. He wants everyone to get there. He's a shepherd. He's a pastor. He cares for people's souls. The end of that um, passage in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says that add on top of all of the suffering that he's endured, this daily burden of worry and anxiety that he has for the churches. He worries that all of this labor that he has invested in planting churches is going to be in vain. Like three times at least, Paul says in his letters to different churches, the church in Galatia, the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, he says, I'm worried that my labor will be in vain, that somehow false teaching or Judaizers or some, some philosophy will undermine the work of the gospel in that city. He worries about it. Well, hang on a sec, I thought Jesus said didn't worry. That's a sermon for another day. Paul is concerned for the churches. What drove him? To labor so hard, to strive with all his energy was to present people mature or perfect in Christ. That's what drove him. Now, why is that so important? Why does he work so hard for that? Because that's exactly the purpose that Jesus has. If you look there at this comparison between verse 22 and 28, you'll see a connection between Jesus' purpose and reconciliation and Paul's purpose in having a ministry of reconciliation. Have a look there. Paul, Jesus says, The purpose to reconcile you is to present you before God on the last day as holy, blameless, and above reproach. And then Paul says that his purpose in preaching Christ, that ministry of reconciliation, is to present you before God on the last day as mature and perfect. There is a weight of responsibility to this task that Paul has. And so he 
labors diligently, striving, working hard, toiling to present people before God on the last day as mature and perfect. I've got to be honest with you that sometimes that burden as a pastor feels too much. There's a bit of a joke that goes around the office. Um, I've, got a, I've got this thing called a throat whistle. It's just an extended sigh. When something, when something hard or heavy happens, it's just like, oh, I didn't really do it then. It didn't work. It's hard work, if I'm honest with you. Your gospel community leaders express the same thing to us. There's concern over people's spiritual walk with Jesus. There's this weight of responsibility that people carry in caring for people's souls, not wanting anyone to wander from the faith, not wanting anyone to have their heart hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. There is a, a weightiness to this task. Sometimes it feels too much, you know, like Sydney feels too big. The soil seems too tough. The cultural climate is too volatile. It's too hard. How can someone possibly endure? How can we how can we do all that Jesus has called us to do in our church and in this city when it seems so hard and there's so much work to do and it feels overwhelming? I think the same way that Paul did it. The same way that Paul endured and strived and labored. Paul's answer is Jesus. That's the answer for everything in Colossians. The answer is Jesus. Paul's answer to that tension is Jesus. Come back to verse 29 with me. For this I toil struggling. Right. So we've seen it. Paul's labor, his suffering, his purpose, his drive, his determination. For this I toil struggling every fiber of his being with all his energy that he so powerfully works within you know, without the second half of that verse, everything that we've just heard seems heroic and impossible for us, doesn't it? But with that, all of a sudden that seems possible. You know, the, the 21st century illustration of this is the, the hybrid car, you know, the, the motor and the electric engine together. Maybe the last century illustration of this is the tandem bike. You know, the tandem bikes are romantic. You can get them at Centennial Park and ride around tandem bike. And the tandem bike works like this. There are two sets of pedals, two seats, and one set of handlebars. Two seats, two pedals, one set of handlebars. And, and this passage seems to me to suggest that we're on a tandem bike. Jesus is at the front. He is steering. He is powering. He is pedaling. And we're up the back pedaling as well, pedaling our little guts out. Think of it like a little child pedaling like crazy, working really hard. Really, the heavy lifting comes from Jesus, who steers and powers that bike forward. Serving Jesus is a cooperative effort. Salvation is not. Right? We do not contribute anything to the work of Jesus redeeming and rescuing us. But serving Him, serving people in this church, serving this city, that is a cooperative effort. We serve alongside Jesus. We serve with Jesus. If we're to serve Jesus with everything, every fiber of our being, we have to have the resources to do that. Otherwise, we will tap out. 
Paul here is not um, kind of lazily hoping that Jesus will just fill the gaps that he's left because he couldn't be bothered doing them. He, he labors, nor is he naive enough to think that he's got it all, that on his strength he can take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. He, there is this cooperative effort. This is human effort and divine power together. Not just let God do it all. He's going he's gonna to do it. He doesn't have to use me. Not I'm going to do this myself. The hope of this city is anchored church. Cooperative effort. The Holy Spirit empowering. Jesus' energy in us that enables Paul to work hard, that enables us to work hard. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples at the end of the Great Commission, Matthew 28? No small task. I just want you to make disciples of all nations, all of them. And then he finishes that command, that commission with a promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We don't labor in this ministry. We don't pour ourselves out for the sake of this city alone. Jesus is with us. His spirit is inside of us. John 15, 5. This is the message that I preached at the beginning of this year. Apart from me, you can do a couple of things. Apart from me, you can do as much as you can on your own strength and I'll kick in it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But Jesus still expects us to labor and toil and strive. And he empowers us for that. It is his energy that he powerfully works in you. His energy that He powerfully works in. Now, I take that to mean, some people take this to mean that whatever strength and energy you have, God provided that for you anyway, right? So if you're naturally wired as a, you know, bit of an ADD type person that's constantly on the go, that has lots of energy bouncing off the walls, too much caffeine, and, and all of that energy that you had was Jesus gave it to you anyway. I, maybe, but I think this means more than that. I think what this means is that we have a supernatural power available to us that is more than any of our human ability could achieve and accomplish. That's what you, like Paul could never have hoped to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth on his own strength. The Spirit of God enables us, empowers us. This is Jesus' energy and power at work in us. Church, you have more power available to you than you realize. And self-sufficiency doesn't tap that. Self-sufficiency says, I've got it. I've got the 607 horsepower engine. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And eventually we crash and burn and burn out. It's a cooperative effort. Now I realize that there are many of you here this morning who are tired. Some of you who have come to Anchor, and we've heard the stories, you've come and you've been serving for years and you have burnt out. I've heard that story so many times and Anchor has been a haven of rest for so many people and we're so thankful that we can be that. But here's the deal. We're not the ones who, who are going to recharge your batteries, so to speak. Jesus will. He is your saviour, not us, not our church, not sitting here being, uh, doing nothing. Jesus is the one. Some of you are tired though because 
uh, you've been on this launch team since day one. And it's two and a half years now and it's been hard work and you've served some of you almost every Sunday, week in, week out, laboring and you feel tired. And maybe, maybe there's a sense that you've been doing that on your own strength and that's why you feel tired. But I want to suggest there's a whole bunch of other factors that contribute to burnout. Here are a couple of things. I think a lack of support can contribute to that tiredness and burnout. Maybe we've delegated a task to you and we haven't checked in in two and a half years. You don't feel supported. No one asks how you're going. If that's you, please, this church is getting so big now. We don't know what's happening everywhere. Please, just just let us know. Just come say, hey, you know you guys haven't checked in on me. We want to graciously apologize, ask your forgiveness and, and come alongside of you and encourage you and give you the resources that you need to continue to serve. Maybe there's a lack of a lack of resources, a lack of support. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a, um, a sense where you feel that the task is so big and what you've got to accomplish the task um, just doesn't amount to the ability to get that done. Maybe you feel constrained and, and, and you don't have the resources to get there. That, that can contribute. To, but maybe there's a lack of sense of achievement. It's like I've been doing this for so long and so long and so long and and I just, I'm not seeing the results that I want to see and we're not seeing enough people come to Jesus and all, all these things that end up making us frustrated. A lack of seeing results and a sense of achievement can lead to burnout. Maybe, maybe it's just self-sufficiency. You think it's all you. This is your strength, your power, your might. And there's, there's no cooperative effort with Jesus and you're certainly not going to ask anyone else for help because that would look like weakness and you're strong. But really inside, it's hard and you're tired and you want to give up. Maybe, maybe there's a sense of self-sufficiency that's contributing to that. Maybe you just can't say no. And you keep adding more and more and more things to your plate until your plate is overflowing. And, you know, one of the things about George Whitfield is that, um, yeah, he, he labored hard. He worked hard. He traveled extensively. He preached a lot. He preached himself into the grave, but he didn't have a great marriage. He was always sick, chronic asthma, chronically sick all the time. God used him in significant ways, but, but I want to suggest probably slightly unhealthy at the same time. Maybe we need to say no. Maybe it's that there's misplaced expectations on serving Jesus. Right, you, just, you came into this thinking, this is going to be easy. I'm going to kill it. This is going to be great. And then all of a sudden, two weeks in, you're like, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. There's this misplaced expectation. Whatever it is, whatever it is, wherever you feel this morning, whether you're tired or whether you're just on the edge of tapping out, there's a number of things that contribute to that feeling tired and burnt out. But I want to suggest to you this morning that Paul was the prime candidate for burnout, was he not? When, of all the people that you can think of, surely Paul would have said, you know what, I'm just taking a sabbatical because this ministry stuff is too hard. I'm out. I'm done. Call me in six weeks. The elders have given me leave. It's paid leave. It's great. I'm going to the Bahamas. But Paul's the best candidate for burnout. And yet he does. Why? How can Paul continue to serve Jesus and not tap out? Because he doesn't do it on his own strength. 
He doesn't do it with misplaced expectations. He does it as a part of a team, but the thing that enables him to do this is that Christ's energy powerfully works within him. There is a cooperative effort in this. What he cannot achieve on his own, Christ achieves through him. In fact, Paul will say he will boast of his weakness because all it does is serve to magnify Christ's strength and power. So how do we know? How do we know that we are serving and pouring ourselves out and it's cooperative? How do we know it's not just all of us and our strength and our energy? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, prayer is the best indicator that you are cooperative in this work. So if you're not praying, it's all you. And when you do pray and God uses you, are you thankful to Him? Or you just think, that was pretty good. See what I did there? Hey, did you see what I, instead of Jesus, thank you for what you did through me. Right? Prayer, thankfulness are good indications of how cooperative we are in this labor that we do for Jesus. Additionally, you might know that this is Christ's power through you when there's a deep sense of joy, despite how hard it is, despite how long the hours are, that there is wonderful joy in serving Jesus because you realize that this is a partnership, that it's kind of like go to work with Daddy Day because you are serving alongside Jesus and it's so wonderful that He would use you for His purposes. Or there's just this wonderful evidence of supernatural power that's available to you. You do something, you think, there is no way I could have done There is no way that I had the strength and energy to do that. You know, there are multiple times when I get up here to preach, sometimes like today when there's not much in my notes, and, and I'm just like, I, and I sit down and people are like, that's amazing. I'm like, I can't even remember what came out of my mouth. It just came out and, and I go back and listen to the podcast. I was like, that was pretty good, but it didn't come from me. That was a spirit-inspired moment. And I'm sure there are others of you who think, I couldn't have done this if it weren't for Jesus. There are just sometimes moments when you realize in quite a profound way, there was a partnership in this. This was me and him together, serving, laboring, striving, pouring ourselves out. Church, I want you to know that there is a power available to you. It's Christ's energy, His own energy within you, in the person of the Spirit, enabling you to do what you cannot do on your own strength. And too often we operate in self-reliance and self-sufficiency when what we need to do is come back to Jesus and say, God, use me. Jesus, empower me to do what I cannot do on my own strength and power. Let me close quickly with this. Maybe some of you are tired this morning because you have been striving and working so hard at earning the Father's approval. You've been working really hard at being good. You've been working really hard at keeping all the rules in the hope that God will be happy with you, that you are trying to be perfect. And it's tiring It's weighing you down because you fail time and time again. The good news of the gospel is that that Jesus has reconciled you in His body of flesh. That though you were once an alien, He has reconciled you and brought you near. That His blood has washed your sin away. 
that you don't need to work hard to earn the Father's approval anymore because He says, I love you in Christ. Maybe you're tired because you are working at something that you will never achieve on your own strength. In fact, you can't achieve it all. The gospel is this. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you are striving to earn the Father's approval, then today realize that in Christ the Father approves of you. You don't need to work at that anymore. Jesus has done it. But wherever you stand today, I want you to know this. That Jesus has rest and power and energy and strength for you. Let me close by reading a portion of scripture from Isaiah 40 as the band comes up. This is what it says in Isaiah 40 verse 28. Have you not known... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the God that we worship. Jesus has rest, strength and energy for you today. Our prayer is this morning that you'll be ministered to by the gospel. And we're going to hopefully do that in three ways right now. We're going to respond The first is we're going to respond in praising and worshipping this God as the band leads us. Secondly, we're going to respond in the Lord's Supper. If you love Jesus, then this meal is for you. This is a reminder for you that it is all about Jesus. This meal is what theologians call a means of grace. This is one of the conduits that God uses to give us grace, to strengthen us, to fill us. And so as you come to this meal, tired and weary, come, dip the bread in the grape juice, eat and remember that Jesus gives me rest. Jesus gives me strength. The third way we're going to respond is in prayer. The back, our prayer team is there, ready, available. They would love to pray for you. If you're tired this morning, please, Please don't leave here without going and receiving prayer. Reach out. There's no shame in saying, I need help. I'm weak. We would love to pray for you. We would love to get around you. We would love to help you. We would love to carry the burden in any way we can. And we would love to point you to Jesus who has done it all for you. So we're going to respond. We're going to worship. I'm going to invite you to stand now as we pray and sing to our great God. So would you stand, church? Let's pray now to our good God. God, I thank You. I thank You that in Jesus we find the rest that we so desperately need and desire. 
I thank You that He has done the work for us. God, I pray for any person in this room this morning who feels tired and burnt out and on the edge. Be that because they are striving in their own strength to earn Your approval. Be that because they're striving in their own strength to serve this church and this city. I pray that they would find rest this morning in Your healing arms. Strength this morning in the energy that Jesus provides. We ask it in His powerful name and those who agreed, sir. Amen.